Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. While the world is all gloomy and full of despair, one thing that might help you is comfy loungewear. But I mean, it won't help with a war or, you know, a raging disease. But it will help you sit on your bottom with enjoyment and ease. Ooh, British boxers, they sell lovely pants and pajamas. Ooh, British boxers, which might help you deal with global dramas. Ooh, British boxers, they are a really nice sort so go check their range from t-shirts to boxer shorts British Box is a very ethically lovely loungewear and underwear company who just the other week went viral on Twitter for posting swears about Nigel Farage. So what more could you want? And with the code PARPOLBRO15, you get 15% off any order what you do on their site at British-Boxes.com. So don't just forget that while everything out there seems quite mad That some things might be pants and yet also not bad or British boxers British Box don't sell boxers so please don't try to buy any of your favourite boxing legends from their website Or they will ignore your email Barry McGuigan is not for purchase and we please stop contacting them to ask Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that is doing what it can to the best of its ability. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week as number 10 is handed its first batch of fines for the lockdown parties, but ministers insist now is not the time for a self-indulgent leadership contest, I'd argue that, well, there's never time for one of those, but unfortunately that's the only type we ever get because no one's going to join the Conservative Party if they're a restrained and thoughtful person. Or even just a person, you know, rather than, for example, a grotesque manifestation of all the qualities you warn children about. So fuck it, may as well have a go now, right? Finally! Yes, finally! Some actual justice people, those that broke the law at number 10 during lockdown by attending a party, have been fined. OMG! It's true! No one is above the law, and thank God for a justice system the whole world must envy. The police have given 20 people a life-changing, behaviour-condemning, they're definitely never going to do this again, fine of £50, blah, yeah, 50 whole pounds. I can't imagine how much that's going to affect them on their very 
very large salaries. Maybe, maybe it'll mean they can't buy an extra egg for extortionally priced breakfast at a very, very posh hotel. Oh, no, wait, sorry. No, that'll probably be on expenses, won't it? Um, yeah, okay. Right, well, 50 quid, maybe, maybe that'll mean they'll struggle to pay for parking at work one day. Oh, no, wait, no, it's free for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's just NHS workers have to pay for parking because those idiots saved lives during the pandemic, meaning the people whose lives they've saved continue to take up space and therefore, I guess you've got to pay for your own space to make up for it. Whereas everyone at number 10 was just gleefully letting people keel over with the vids and therefore freeing up space in the world. So I guess they get free space in return. I suppose it sort of all does make sense when you look at it through a very full glass of Westminster co-op spirits. But maybe though, by finding them 50 quid, the number 10 staff won't be able to use those larger notes to do lines with at the next party and they'll have to use 20s for all their cocaine instead, which would just mean they'll have to do smaller amounts over a longer time, which might reduce how immediately arrogant they are by a fraction and possibly even let self-awareness leak in long enough for them to push through some vaguely less horrific policies. Yeah, justice! I'm sure the 400 people that were hit with £10,000 fines for lockdown breaching parties in 2020 and 2021 are also feeling a smug sense of resolution right now that those in government do indeed have exactly the same rules as us. It's just that the key difference is, you know, those in government weren't aware they were at parties while attending them, so it sort of seemed unfair to charge Downing Street staff the same. 19 of the 20 people that have had fines are just number 10 staff, we assume, but we actually have no idea as all their identities are being kept anonymous because, again, it'd be cruel to have their lives endangered by people knowing they're so stupid they aren't even aware of where they are at any time. Imagine how often they get taken advantage of. Sold holidays, only travelled nowhere at all, but have the travel agent insist they were definitely abroad and it's just that their whole living room and house and street has all gone abroad with them. Number 10 staff would be completely clueless to suggest otherwise. The other one person out of the 20 though has been revealed to be Helen McNamara, a woman who at best can be described as pale in every possible way, and she's the former government ethics chief. Though let's be fair, I mean, if the ethics chief was at a party, the other 19 people probably assumed it was well alright to be there as well, right? The ethics chief's there, so it's probably fine for us to be here, although actually thinking again, I can't imagine the cabinet's ethics chief really has much else to do except stand around and drink, because you'd probably have given up trying to explain what ethics are to the Prime Minister after the first 400 times. McNamara has apologised for her error in judgement and she now works for the Premier League so I suppose it's a lot easier to keep in line when you have VAR. The Prime Minister and foam mattress that fell out of the back of a van and straight into a quagmire, Boris Johnson, is not one of the people that has been fined yet and is still insisting that the parties did not break the law even though these fines from the Metropolitan Police mean that yes, actually yes they did. Does that mean Johnson is weirdly in line with the public for once and also doesn't trust the Met Police? And if evidence doesn't mean anything, does that mean when the Prime Minister said this week that the horrific and depressing footage from Bucha and Erpin in Ukraine of the many civilian deaths by Russian soldiers was evidence of war crimes, does that mean in his mind that Russian forces haven't actually broken the law though? Or can the Prime Minister not actually tell until the process has been entirely concluded? The law is hard sometimes, full of all sorts of bits of legislation, such as if you've been fined for breaking it, that means you broke it. And I mean, how are you meant to wrap your head around that sort of stuff? Luckily, the very man in charge of justice, the Justice Secretary Dominic Raab, with his face that looks like if you put a cotton bud up his nose, you could rewire his brain, he took time out from once again trying to scrap human rights to admit on TV interviews that yes, the law was broken at those parties, but Boris Johnson didn't lie when he said he wasn't breaking the law, he just told the truth to the best of his ability. But I guess he's a pathological liar, isn't it? So he has no ability to tell the truth. Is it now just an excuse to be massively shit at things? If I career a plane into a school, can I have the defence that it wasn't that I flew with neglect? It's that I flew a plane to the best of my ability, which is none as I've never flown a plane before. 
Number 10 don't agree with the Justice Secretary's admittance that the parties broke the law, but they say they respect the Met's view, which I think means that now what the law is must be open to interpretation for everyone in the UK, as long as you respect that it's there and then you can just ignore it. Yes, officer, I respect that you think all this stuff in my arms is nicked from that shop I just took it from, but I would argue that I only tried to pay for it with the best of my abilities and therefore it was perfectly legal in the eyes of the law and don't forget, justice is blind, so chances are I didn't see it anyway. Maybe it doesn't matter, maybe none of this matters anyway. You know, Minister for Brexit Opportunities, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who can only be seen in the corner of your peripheral vision, said Partygate wasn't the most important thing going on in the world right now. Which, I mean, he's right, it isn't. But he also couldn't give a shit about all the more important things going on in the world right now, so I'm not really sure it helps his argument. You can't say, don't worry about this, there's, I don't know, climate change, when if asked about climate change, you go, yeah, that's not happening though. Rees-Mogg says Johnson was given the wrong information over where the parties were held at Downing Street, which makes you wonder what it was, considering he was at six of them. Excuse me, Prime Minister, but despite everything you see and hear, this isn't the party, and I should know I'm the ethics officer. It's not exactly a good look if the main form of defence for you is, well, he's an idiot, but maybe that is better than he's actually unable to tell the truth. I mean, you only really need to add to that Annie likes stealing, and you've got a character bio for a goblin D&D character. Former health secretary and the sort of man that looks out of place anywhere outside of a miniature railway, Matt Hancock, also backed the Prime Minister. Because how on earth could Matt Hancock think Johnson had done anything wrong when he was the one who got horny because he'd let 150,000 people die? I mean, really, in comparison, having several illegal parties as people were unable to see loved ones and many were dying from Covid, that is super grim. But then think about Matt Hancock having sex and suddenly it's not as bad. I mean, maybe that's why he's been wheeled out so all of us can remember that there are indeed worse things out there, like Rhys Mogg said, and it's not war or the destruction of the planet, but the very idea that someone might find Matt Hancock attractive and thus proof that a god definitely does not exist. To show the country how seriously the government are taking the Met Police's respectful decision that they have broken the law because they have, Boris Johnson treated all the Conservatives to a big fucking party in the Park Plaza Hotel, walking past people having a candlelit vigil for those lost during the pandemic and largely ignoring them. So it's nice to know they do have some consistency somewhere. Johnson hosted the dinner and drinks bash for 200 Conservative Party MPs in what I think is a sort of expensive version of a petrol station flowers attempt to shore up his leadership. I don't know who's in charge of Conservative Party optics as I just don't really understand what that job is. You know, while people are struggling to pay for food, there's someone whose entire job is to go, no, stand with your legs apart like you're asking for someone to kick you in the genitals. And then when they do, no one will ask why you stood like that, but they'll just keep asking Labour politicians about the genitals you've been kicked in. Whoever is currently the Tory image consultant, though, I assume that they get most of their ideas from cartoon villains in the 80s and 90s. And I know that's a regular and perhaps lazy comparison that I often make, but it's very hard to think of much else when you see Johnson and crew whining and dining on the same day that they've been fined for having illegal parties. It distinctly just reminds me of baddies who've stole a giant magic diamond, then insist they definitely haven't while hosting a look at my big fucking magic diamond party and hoping they've got away with it. It was reported that at the party, Johnson addressed the crowd by saying, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or as Keir Starmer would put it, people who are assigned female or male at birth. The Prime Minister insisted, though, it wasn't a transphobic comment, but one that poked fun at the leader of the opposition and appalled paintbrush, Keir Starmer, who keeps being asked really weird questions about genitals by interviewers and doesn't know what the answer is because he's never seen any before and is disgusted they exist, much like his views on people in general. It's one thing to say a joke is aimed at someone, but when the ammo you're using is a minority group, it doesn't really back your argument. If I lobbed an endangered toad at your head and said, oh, well, it was about hitting you in the head, I've got nothing against toads, I'm still not sure I've done the endangered toad any favours while doing so. 
Three hours after the party, Conservative MP for Bridgend and distraught suet pudding, Jamie Wallace, came out as trans online, revealing that he, and that is his current preferred pronouns, was a victim of rape and now suffers from PTSD. All facts that are commendable he felt he could reveal, but also none of them stop him from being an absolutely horrendous human being who walked away from a car crash, actively wants immigrants to have worse lives, and worse, wore a Union Jack face mask in Parliament to name but a few of many, many reasons why he's terrible. We must always remember that true equality is when the world is in a place that you can say someone's a piece of shit regardless and irrespective of how they identify. As in, I couldn't give a shit if Jamie Wallace is trans, regardless of that, he's still a massive twat, who's part of a party that actively hates people like him. The next day, of course, though, Johnson tweeted support of Wallace, saying that the Conservative Party he leads will always give him and everyone else the love and support he needs to be themselves. Which is odd, as they won't give people the support to eat or heat their homes, but maybe you only really find the true you if you can literally look inside yourself. In further proof of this support for people to be themselves, the Conservatives U-turned on their long-promised ban on conversion therapy, but then, after four hours and enough uproar that it was a shitty thing to do, they U-turned on it again, saying they would ban it for gay people, but not for trans people. Because Johnson will give people the love and support they need to be themselves, but he's kind of hoping that by allowing harmful and traumatising methods to be legal, that maybe he and his party members won't have to pretend to know what love and support is, and are far less likely to get caught out. If you're trans, you can be converted, apparently, according to the Conservative government, but if you're an alleged coke-addled sex pest like Conservative MP David Warburton, the spitting image of someone who tried to get you involved in a pyramid scheme, then harassing people is just innate, you know? It's just a midlife crisis, so hey, what are you going to do? Just last year, Warburton boasted in many a newspaper that he'd lost six stone in just six months, and now as pictures have been sent to the press of him sitting next to lines of cocaine, you do start to see just how he might have managed that. The MP's wife is defending him, probably because she's been his communications officer and personal assistant since 2015, and I guess it would be shitty if they both lost their jobs at the same time. Warburton has had the party whip withdrawn and been admitted to a psychiatric hospital due to the shock that he's had since the allegations were revealed, but I'm sure if he is convicted of three cases of sexual harassment and drugs misuse that he can just say he respects the decision, but he doesn't feel he broke the law, and then it'll all be fine. Warburton took an undeclared loan of £150,000 from a Russian businessman and one of his relatives then got given a job at that businessman's firm. Still though, I suppose David couldn't hire all his family to work for him, could he? He's got to keep some of that money for baggies. The cap on energy bills changed on Friday, meaning most people in Britain are having huge, huge bill increases. Though it could be noted that if you don't pay and the gas company threatens to cut you off, you can just say you respect the decision but you haven't done anything wrong and then hope for the best. The government are investigating all the best ways to tackle this and then when they find them, they're ignoring them in favour of absolutely terrible ideas instead. The Treasury has said that onshore wind and solar energy are poor value for money, despite them being the cheapest forms of zero-carbon, homegrown energy and the quickest to roll out. But I suppose the issue of having something that doesn't cost much and is effective is that it really shows up everything else the government spend money on and makes it look stupid. To be on brand, they really have to find a resource that costs six times what anyone would think is reasonable and somehow causes more pollution than it tackles while barely generating any electricity. But luckily, that's what fracking is for, which does all of the above while causing earthquakes, so it's sort of a four-for-one deal. The Lancashire fracking sites have been given a stay of execution, and the head of Centrica, which owns British Gas, has said fracking is worth exploring, which is funny because it has been explored, and everything that was discovered was, oh, this isn't great, and it makes massive fucking holes in the ground and earthquakes. It also won't actually bring down bills, as it'll just mine gas that we'll then have to sell abroad, and then they'll sell it back to us, and it'll still cost a ton. So the only reason Conservative MPs have a hard-on for it is because if they do enough fracking, the ground might swallow them up before they have to admit that they've broken the law at a party. 
The National Grid is selling off 60% of its stakes in Britain's gas pipeline to the Australian bank Macquarie, who are famous for fucking up the UK's Green Investment Bank and Thames Water, so I'm sure this is going to be the chance they finally need to get things right. What harm is there in letting a company so known for mismanagement and racking up debt to have majority stakes in a gas pipeline during an energy crisis? Perhaps this is what we need to persuade the government to invest in renewables, that Macquarie will fuck up the pipeline so much there'll be no gas and therefore no other option but to power the UK using alternative methods, otherwise that's it for lights and music at any future parties, and that might just get Conservative MPs thinking alternatively. What may get in the way of this lovely idea, though, is that Home Secretary and smirking death threat Pretty Patel has just accepted a £100,000 donation from an oil trader. I'm not sure what interest that oil trader would have in the Home Office's work, but then I guess their cruel lack of safe passage is contributing to filling the seabed with organic matter that will become fossil fuels in a few million years. So maybe that's it. While all in number 10 are trying to avoid accepting responsibility for breaking the law, the Chancellor and Gormless radiator key Rishi Sunak has decided to take on critics of his complete lack of help with the cost of living crisis by flying to his home in California for Easter. Well, I suppose that is one way to avoid paying higher heating costs by, you know, just emigrating to a warmer climate. And I do hope that Sunak is only there to scout out the options of giving everyone in the UK a short trip to the west coast of America in order to cut their bills as well. Though somehow I very much doubt it. Before he left, Sunak was getting increasingly tetchy at people questioning his shit spring statement and his wife's investments with a bank with connections to Moscow. Sunak said that people should not come at his wife, which, to be fair, sounds quite grim and is the sort of thing that other Tory MPs are currently being investigated for. The Chancellor compared himself to Will Smith in defending his wife against criticism, and I guess they are exactly the same, because as we know, Will Smith is an elected British MP who has to declare his partner's interests, especially if they have investments in a regime currently illegally invading a country. And just like Will Smith, Rishi Sunak makes absolutely terrible decisions that make him look like an awful prick in front of absolutely everyone. At least I didn't slap anybody, said the Chancellor. No, because you'd be too worried that the warmth from the slap would give them too much comfort right now, and you'd have to get them to pay you back in instalments. During a hearing with the Treasury Select Committee, during which he was more twitchy Sunak, the Chancellor said he decided to help working people rather than pay £25 billion to upgrade benefits in line with inflation, as the government should not have to compensate everybody. Which is true, I guess. It's just a shame, as new figures show, that he mainly decided to compensate the fraudsters who claimed it now seems £37 billion in Covid loans and never paid it back, and companies like McDonald's who benefited from £872 million in Covid support but then avoided paying £295 million in UK tax. Then again, I guess it's not fraudulent from those fraudsters if they say they respected the decision but don't agree, and I suppose the government have a lot of camaraderie with McDonald's because it's also run by a fucking clown. What Sunak has done, though, is ask the Royal Mint to make their first ever NFT because it seems there wasn't enough money wasted on fraud during the past few years. It'll be issued in the summer, so instead of paying for food, you can use your hard-earned money to own an image you could just right-click and save from the internet for free instead. Still, nothing represents the Conservatives quite like something that is massively expensive, but when it comes down to it, it's completely lacking in any actual substance. I give it months before Sunak has his own cryptocurrency called Rishicoin that he won't loan to you, but he will give you a lump sum of as long as you pay it back over five years. And note, you have to have it. You absolutely don't have a choice. Lucky for Sunak, he flew to California before travel chaos caused by staff shortages due to Covid. There is something massively ironic about a virus that travels so easily, stopping absolutely everyone else from doing so. The airlines did demand restrictions were ended in order to help them, and in a way they were right as it has helped them all have a lovely break from having to work as they're all stuck at home with Covid. 
One in 13 people in England currently have coronavirus and 4.9 million people overall in the UK. But from last week, free tests were scrapped. The Prime Minister said free testing was simply unsustainable at the cost of £2 billion a month, which is really good news because it doesn't cost that. So I guess you'll be keeping it then. No, oh, oh. Nine new COVID symptoms have been added to the official list, but none of them include not being able to recognise what the law is. So there's still absolutely no excuse for that shit. In other news, Russian troops are committing horrific atrocities across Ukraine with very upsetting images of civilian bodies in the streets in the city of Bucha, near Kiev. The Prime Minister has announced that they will not rest until justice is done, well apart from Rishi Sunak who's already on holiday in California and all of Parliament who are now in recess for two weeks, but apart from that they won't actually rest. Johnson spoke to Ukrainian President and intense Tony Slattery, Vladimir Zelensky, over the weekend and promised him a new package of very, very tangible support. So I bet Zelensky is going to be delighted when he receives the new Royal Mint NFT. Over in Hungary, Viktor Orban, who's melting into his own hateful body, was elected president for the fourth time in elections that observers said were not free or fair. The increasingly fascist Orban, who is a pan of Russian president and naked mole rat Vladimir Putin, included Zelensky in his list of opponents in this election, which is unfair because even if the Ukrainian president was eligible to run, he's still pretty busy with the invasion right now and I don't think he can really get his campaign going. Putin contacted Orban to congratulate him, which is weird, you'd think he'd be more than super keen to invade Hungary now in order to denazify them. Back in the UK, Labour leader Keir Starmer launched his local election campaign with the slogan, On Your Side, which very much makes him sound like a thorn. Starmer did a series of interviews over the weekend where he kept insisting people don't want a revolution, they just want to pay their energy bills. No care, no one actually wants to pay for their energy bills, that's the problem, and a revolution might mean, I don't know, that maybe it could open the way to renationalising energy and creating renewable energy, but that seems a real stretch for the opposition whose campaign slogan really should have been, Labour mustn't grumble, eh? We're likely to see egg shortages or the costs of eggs rise as production costs for egg farmers rapidly increase. I give it no time at all before the government insists it's part of a great nationwide egg hunt just in time for Easter as they persuade people to get their own eggs and tinned all day breakfast Michael Gove goes out about shaking chickens bumps for photo ops. And lastly, some Conservative MPs are endorsing the idea of a nationwide Margaret Thatcher Day, which based on everything I believe I should be opposed to, but I think there could be something really fun about being allowed to run around all day snatching milk from children. Holler at thee! How are you, Parpol Brods? I am nearly almost lurgy-free, and it's exciting to not be, as I was last week, walking around like some sort of 80s Ghostbusters slime toy exhibit. I still never tested positive for the COVID, uh, not once, uh, not once in my time of having all of the symptoms of COVID. I'm still very certain I had it, and you can't tell me otherwise, no matter how clever you are. Okay, maybe you can tell me if you're really clever. Um, Tar for listening to this mouth jazz again. No, I'm not going to use that term again. You are right. Um, But thanks for being here. And I've decided that after this episode, I am taking a short Easter break. So there's going to be no podcasts for the next two weeks. And yes, I know some of your kids are on Easter break now and Parliament is on the recess already. But these pods look back at the week before, right? So, uh, because, you know, I can't see the future. Despite my efforts, it usually just hurts my eyes. So it's going to be the next two. um, And... It's not even so much because I need to spend Easter weekend smashing chocolate into my face. Um, won't someone report on how endangered chocolate chickens are? We just keep eating their eggs. They're going to go extinct soon. Um, it's not that. It's also not even so much that I have to get my stand-up back into gear for some shows I've got this month. Um, if you're a listener in Guernsey, I'm going to be there April 21st, which will be fun. I've never been to Guernsey before. I'm assuming I'll just shout about how you're very rich and dodge tax. Um, uh, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, also, it's, it's, you know, we've also got our kids' politics show. Um, we've got three shows 
this month in Bury St Edmunds on the 14th, Watford Palace Theatre on the 23rd and Waterman's Arts Centre on the 24th in Brentford. Um, there's not those reasons. It's actually mainly to do with the fact that all the politics news right now is, oh God, things around the world are so depressing or things here are so depressing or the government are trying to find ways to lie about lying again. And to be honest, I'm starting to run out of different jokes um, about what is essentially the same thing again and again and again. People always sort of say that when things are so ridiculous and politicians say such ridiculous things that it must be hard for satire. That's not what's hard. There's always a way to find things about it. What is hard is when the news is basically they're just doing something shitty again and again and again and again and I decide that I've got to write a new joke for it every week rather than just use the same really good ones I wrote weeks before. It's hard to think of new shit for the same shit. Um, anyway, so I think I think it'd be nice to switch my brain off from it for a week or two to refuel and find new ways to describe Boris Johnson. It's a weird situation where I really, really, really want Boris Johnson to go because he's an absolute car crash of morality, but also because there's only so many ways to describe what is essentially a walking sack of porridge. Um, so I hope that intro this week didn't sound too stale and like my brain was on its last uh, synapse spark. But hopefully when this is back, it'll be all fresh sounding again, like I've had an oil change, which I won't have done because obviously that's too expensive right now. So um, on this week's show, I got to chat with Ed Maltby all about the Stuart strike. What is that? Who is he? Well, why don't you listen and learn and possibly maybe even get inspired by a tales of people actually standing up to all of this bullshit. Unlike me, who's mostly sitting down, very much letting the bullshit fly past and hoping if I wish hard enough, it might stop for at least long enough for me to clean the windows. See, what even, what even was that analogy? That doesn't even make sense. Oh, God, I need a break. It is arguable that Snoop Dogg's Just Eat track is easily in his top 10 best tunes ever. So say I, a very long-term fan of the uh, D-O-double-G. But I'm not sure if Snoop knew that when he declared at the top of his advert for the food delivery app, let's do this doggy style, that it would actually mean so many of the delivery drivers would be getting completely fucked over. Delivery drivers were one of the heroes of the pandemic, bringing food when we couldn't go outside except for that odd hour of exercise we really needed after having so many delivery drivers bring us food. So it seems odd that the main takeaway, Stuart, the company that supplies many of the Just Eat drivers, especially in smaller towns and villages around the UK, the main takeaway that they've had from the past two years is that their CEO should get a massive pay rise while there should be a new pay structure that cuts workers' fees by 25%. According to the Prime Minister, the way out of poverty is work, which must be why he doesn't bother doing any as he's already loaded. And yet work definitely isn't the way out of poverty if the work pays much, much less than it should. As has become a theme of recent times, those working lose money for working even harder, meaning that they will now struggle to um, just eat, while the fat cat at the top gets loads and loads for not really delivering. 4.4 million people in England and Wales work in the gig economy, as it's so known, though of course that is different to music gigs because that's a band and the gig economy really should be. And with that brings job insecurity, but also work flexibility, or it would if you weren't entirely reliant on the company you do work for that like to pretend it isn't in a serious relationship and they're seeing other people, yet you still have to turn up when they text or there's going to be trouble. The job they do has got harder because the bosses decided it should. And the mistake these companies often make, though, as we've seen with P&O ferries in recent weeks, is that they assume those workers affected will just get on with it and work twice as hard for a lot less cash. But thankfully, the Stuart drivers have definitely not done that, as further proof they are exceptional at picking things up and racing with them. Drivers up and down the country have been taking strike action in what is now the longest continuous gig economy strike in UK history and they've already claimed wins to get waiting times paid for and a resolution to an insurance issue that was causing unfair suspensions. Can anybody say the power of unionising? Okay, it doesn't rhyme, but you know, it's way better. 
This week I spoke to Edward Maltby, a volunteer in Sheffield that is helping with the Stuart Strike action. Um, and I asked him all about why this has happened, how you organise workers that work individually and are classed as self-employed but aren't, and how we can support strike action. As the past few weeks, nay months, nay years, but particularly past few weeks have shown, work currently doesn't pay at all. At least not enough to cover the rising costs of everything, and the Stuart delivery drivers are one group of a number of people who have been hit by pay cuts as things are getting really brutal. So it was particularly uplifting to talk to Ed, who is helping people fight against the absolute bullshit of now. I hope you find this inspiring, and if you do, as you will hear, you absolutely should help out if you can. Here is Ed. Hi, Ed. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast this week. I've been trying to talk to you for ages, I think, and I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, but let's start right back at the beginning. Um, and just why are Just Eat uh, delivery drivers on on strike? And, and how long has this strike action been going on for? Okay, so uh, the strike started in Sheffield on the 6th of December, and it started then because that is when uh, Just Eat's uh, subcontractor, Stuart, implemented a new pay scale. Um, So that pay scale, uh, the workers say, is a pay cut. Uh, It's a, uh, it represents uh, a 24% cut in the base rate of pay per job. Uh, The company has denied that it's a pay cut in a recent discussion uh, with the leader of the Sheffield Strikers, Brendan Hamill, um, in my view, <clears throat> um, who's the general manager of Stuart in the UK, he kind of uh, he said something which seems to indicate that he res- he uh, acknowledges that it's a pay cut, but officially the position of the company is that they don't admit this. Now, so just to explain the relationship here. Uh, Just Eat, obviously, is the website that you buy food off, um, and they have different solutions for delivering the food to you. So in some places, Just Eat operates its own kind of gig economy app platform where uh, people sign on to that platform and they do work for Just Eat. That tends to be in smaller towns. And then in some places, some larger cities and parts of London, so uh, Brighton, uh, Liverpool, a couple of other places, they have what they call the scuba model, which is where there's an employment agency which employs uh, couriers on a fixed hours contract. I think you can have a 20, 40 or zero hour contract. Um, And uh, obviously that's not self-employment, that's just employment. And then the third um, way that Just Eat sorts out delivery is with a company called Stewart, which is a same-day logistics company, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of DPD, which is in turn a wholly owned subsidiary of the French postal service, La Poste. And so uh, Stewart uses this kind of gig economy style uh, of employment. Uh, There's currently litigation ongoing because uh, obviously many um, people who work for Stewart contend that they are uh, in fact, employees of Stuart, that they're not independent, and we can get into that. Um, and Stuart have loads of money. So during the pandemic, they doubled their revenue uh, from 20 million to 40 million. Uh, they uh, gave uh, their, one of their top directors, who is safe to presume in the 
financial report. They just say, oh, it's the top director. Uh, it's safe to presume that that is their CEO, who's Damien Bonn, uh, who's a fantastically wealthy uh, French person from a fantastically wealthy French family. Um, he uh, got something in the region of a thousand percent pay increase, a bit less than a thousand percent, taking him from around 200 grand cash salary to two million. Uh, and um, at the same time, obviously, the workers who are paid a piece rate saw that piece rate, so the rate per delivery, they're not paid by the hour, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're paid per delivery, they saw that rate reduce. So it used to be that the minimum that you got per delivery was £4.50 on the Stuart app. Now it's £3.40. Stuart contend that um, they pay uh, mileage. Uh, so previously, uh, the base rate was £4.50 until you got up to two and a half miles, and then it was £7.50. What uh, Stuart have done is they've implemented what they call linear pay. So you start getting a little increment for your uh, mileage from zero and it goes all the way up. So it's not just kind of you, you're you flat, then you get this big bump to 750 and then it's flat again. It's kind of like a, an, an upwards line. But because that base rate where you're starting from £3.40 is so low, you're doing loads and loads of jobs which take you under the old minimum. So um, round uh, Sheffield yesterday, uh, drivers were saying that they couldn't find any jobs that were worth more than four pounds. Um, so, and, you know, anecdotally, we're hearing from a lot of drivers all over the country, not just in Sheffield, where I am, that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you'd be able to, if you put in the hours, you could make a thousand pound a week on the app. Um, but due to the pay cut, the loss of certain benefits, like paid waiting time in restaurants, uh, the loss of, um, you know, uh, being paid to go to the restaurant where you're picking up rather than only being paid to go from the restaurant to the customer's house. And also due to overhiring, um, people are now, they've gone from being able to make a grand a week on the platform, you know, like you've got a lot of costs. So it's not exactly the same as making 50 odd grand uh, because you're running a car, you're insuring the car, you've got to have special business insurance, uh, you're responsible for all the upkeep on the car. And if you consider you're doing, you know, it's bad enough just running a car and you just commute in it like an hour or so a day. If you're doing 10, 15 hours in your car every day, the costs mount up. But, you know, it's good money. It was like uh, the remuneration that you get for being a skilled tradesman. Now people are doing 10, 15 hours a day just to make 100 quid. People come out with a 100 quid target. You know, and you stay out doing these jobs until you've hit your 100 quid target. And then, you know, you can be out until late at night. And obviously, the longer you're on the road, the greater your risk of getting slapped with an unfair parking ticket, you know, being in an accident, being a victim of crime and so on. Um, so uh, people have really been busted all the way down from skilled tradesmen's take uh, pay to, you know, someone who's on substantially worse terms and conditions than the day laborer and um you know this um uh this change in the pay structure that came through last year it was rolled out across the uk because drivers in sheffield are quite well organized uh, they said well look if you roll this out here we're just going to go on strike and so that bought them in an extra eight weeks 
of being on the old pay scale because Stuart weren't sure that they wanted it um, with the Sheffield drivers. Um, uh, but that pay scale has been rolled out across the UK and everyone's hurting. It's, it's a nasty situation that lots of these drivers are in. It's, it's, it's horrific. And I think it's, it's, you know, I mean, it would be galling at any time because you're, you're, you're reducing, I mean, you're reducing the value of, of people's work, which is terrific, but also, you know, it comes at a time when delivery drivers have been incredibly um, necessary to the last few years of the pandemic. Uh, like, you know, I'd say sort of life-saving at times. Um, but also, you know, it comes at a time when fuel costs are rising. So the, the sheer, all their expenses are going to be much higher than they were even in December when the strike started. Um, and, and I wondered if you could just sort of explain as well, like what it, what it is about the, the UK working laws or the working definitions and the gig economy me that you mentioned that means that a company like Stuart can can give its staff less than minimum wage is, is it a specific UK structure is it to do with the fact that this is a you know technically an overseas ownership company what's what's the reasons that this is a- allowed so um I think the the crucial thing is that if you're an independent contractor then you don't get uh minimum wage protections and Stuart's contention is that all of their drivers are independent contractors. Now, um, let's say you're a plumber and, um, you know, you're plumbing my house and I take against you and I say, I don't want you to plumb my house anymore, Tim. Well, that's not necessarily a problem for you because, you know, you've got a client base. You've got everyone else on my street, perhaps. You've got uh, a phone book full of people who might want you to come around and plumb their house. Now, if you're a delivery courier and you're working on one of these platforms, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Just Eat, and you get terminated from that platform, as many people do for all sorts of ridiculous reasons, which we can go into, it's not like you've got a phone book full of restaurants or restaurant customers who are going to ring you up and be like, can you run me a burger over, please? So in that respect, you're in a dependent relationship. You know, if you get sacked off one of these platforms, it's not like being a plumber losing a client it's like being sacked from a job that you depend upon on the other hand for a lot of these couriers you know they're people with complicated home lives um sometimes uh, people have various caring responsibilities uh or for whatever reason you know people have got other things going on like i i know a guy who's uh, he's trying to uh, get a small business off the ground and he's doing this in between working on his small business so he can raise the cash to put into that. Um, It's important for these people that they have that degree of independence that their independent contractor status, you know, genuinely does give them. So basically you can stop and start work whenever you please. If you want to work crazy hours, never see anybody and make a fair bit of money. Well, in the old days when they were paying uh, better, then it was possible for you to do that. Now, these days, if you want to make any money at all, you've got to work crazy hours and never see anybody. But um, uh, but so there's, um, on the one hand, there's some real independence that these workers have, which is important to them, which is the part of the reason they've taken this job. They don't want to lose that level of independence. However, um, the uh, they are in a dependent relationship with this company, which uh, means that the company should have 
some responsibility towards them. Um, and so there's a concept in British employment law called a LIM B worker, uh, which is a category of worker who is uh, in some respects independent, but in other respects is recognised that they are they have a level of dependence on their employer and their employer has certain responsibilities towards them. And so that is what some steward workers have been pursuing in court, the idea that they're LIM B workers and therefore they have a right to sick pay, holiday, pensions, minimum wage protections, protection against uh, discriminatory treatment. And um, I am not a lawyer. I've not really been following that court case. Um, I have just been assisting with these guys going on strike in Sheffield, you know, running around, helping them print placards and organizing supporters and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I believe that the B court case thing is going quite well. And also this might open up quite a lot of backdated liabilities for Stuart. Uh, so, you know, if it turns out that actually, you know, you rip the mask off and this guy's been an employer all along, then he's got a lot of backdated holiday, sick pay, pensions, minimum wage protection to pay back. And there's another claim going for that money too. And I think that's something that in general, these firms need to think about, um, which is ultimately, if you're uh, trying to exploit loopholes in labor regulations, if you're trying to you know, have your cake and eat it, well, what happens when the regulations catch up with you? Was it really worth it? Look at this big liability. If you've just got to suddenly pay all that money out and you know, uh, shouldn't the paymasters of companies like Stuart really be tapping them on the shoulder and telling them, um, you know, stop fooling around, don't give your workers a pay cut, uh, face up to your responsibilities, uh, drop this exploitative model? Uh, because, you know, uh, one way or the other, either the courts will get you or the workers will get you. Because there's, sort of, there's precedent for it, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm not clued up on it, but obviously there was the Uber um case where uber drivers were being classed as self-employed and independent and they managed to get that changed in court so they were actually employees and that's that that's got to set a precedent for for change in, in areas like with the just eat delivery drivers yes i mean um i don't want to get too much further into the details of all this stuff uh, because the devil's in the detail. Uh, the reason that, for example, that judgment applied to Uber Taxi, but not to Uber Eats food delivery, is because there are differences in the um, differences in the, the user interface in the app, for example, is one of the arguments the company uses. And you say, oh, well, if the app is set up like this, then you've got yay amount of independence. But if it's set up like that, then there's yay amount of independence. Um, and uh, for example, the ability to reject a job, uh, the ability to have somebody else sign onto your account and do work, those kind of features of the app weigh into a court's decision about how dependent or independent you are. And like, I can't really comment on the technicalities there because it gets pretty technical. But um, I think the bottom line is if you are in a dependent relationship with someone, if you depend on someone for your livelihood then the rules are 
that person's got some kind of responsibility towards you. Yeah, it feels very much like, you know, yet another example of laws uh, not catching up with kind of technological changes that we're seeing. You know, there are so many areas now in life where we use apps to, well, well, people either work for apps and, and, um, and, and we use them for so many services. And yet the legal system doesn't seem to have caught up with that at all. And I suppose because this is, is I know that you've worked with a number of strike actions, including um I think when we previously spoke about talking, it was with the South Yorkshire Couriers Network. And and are you finding that this is now a is this a, is this a regular occurrence since really it has has apps been a big change uh, in in how workers have been treated? So um, in 2019, I was part of a group of socialists in Sheffield who helped set up the South Yorkshire Couriers Network. Uh, basically, we went and had a chat with a bunch of guys who were doing mainly it was Deliveroo at that point and we said like look people down in nottingham who do app-based food delivery they formed a union what do you guys reckon about forming a union if you want to we'll help you do that they said yeah let's do it and then since then in sheffield and around south yorkshire there have been uh, a series of fights between guys who do this job here in sheffield and let's say restaurants who treat drivers with not much respect or don't let them use the toilet or uh you know where a manager shouts at them or threatens them or something or uh, the council who uh give people parking tickets for stopping in loading bays when actually they are loading because they're picking something up they're picking up a curry right um or um we've had various uh fights either at the level of casework or at the level of a big public campaign um, with assistance from councillors and MPs and community figures uh, where people have been unfairly dismissed. And now, um, so these guys, the South Yorkshire Couriers Network, uh, formerly affiliated to a union called the IWGB, which is uh, probably uh, is the biggest um, and most serious attempt is being made by the IWGB to organise um app-based drivers and app-based workers in the UK. There's other unions doing it. There's another small union, you know, um, called the ADCU, uh, who recently led a strike in Belfast, um, also of app-based couriers. Um, And I think some of the mainstream unions are dipping a toe in there, but I'm not. I think GMB have been doing a bit of work around Uber, but I'm not really aware of that. IWGB are the people who are really running with it in terms of unions doing the organising work here. Um, and uh, basically, this pay dispute on Stuart proved the last straw for loads of drivers around the country. And we have seen strikes over pay spread out across the UK. And we've seen pay strikes in Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Blackpool, Huddersfield, uh, all around the West Riding, Burstall, Morley, Heckman Wyke. Uh, we've got a strike happening in uh, Leeds, Allen Road, McDonald's, Hunslet tonight. Uh, Sheffield, Chesterfield, Leicester, Mansfield, Ashford, Folkestone, um, Guildford. Uh, uh, where else around there? Uh, Farnborough, Aldershot, Camberley. Um, I'm missing some out here because uh, there's a lot. Uh, Redcar, 
Um, there's been driver strikes all over the UK. Uh, people are really furious about this pay cut. And so that has been a, a, a fillip on the national scale to this organising. So it kind of started, my involvement at least, started with the South Yorkshire Couriers Network. They weren't the first app-based delivery drivers, delivery cyclists to get involved in the union. There have been prior organisation in places like uh, Brighton, Bristol, York, Nottingham, but I think what has been going on in Sheffield these past two years has been um, an exceptionally serious organising drive, which has formed the base for a national fight over pay. Um, it's been able to shape a kind of an elemental just outpouring of discontent and anger from this group of workers. It's been able to find <clears throat> direction, organisational form, thanks to the IWGB and thanks in particular to the guys in Sheffield who've been mounting this struggle, uh, which is um, approaching 100 days. I think today is the 100th day uh, that the pay strike has been going on in Sheffield. Um, so this isn't the first strike or the first organising drive by app-based uh, drivers, app-based delivery workers, app-based taxi workers in the UK but it certainly is uh, the biggest and longest. So what's going on and um, what Stuart needs to reckon with is this is a, an historic moment in terms of the organization of these drivers and they are never gonna get this toothpaste back in the tube. So um, as a result of the fight that's going on now in all those different towns and cities that I've listed, union organization exists, is there to stay, and um, they should pay up because uh, from Stuart's point of view, things are only going to get worse for them. Um, now, is this new? Well, I've done a bit of reading about what um, the employment model was on the docks in the time before the great dock strike and the creation of the Transport and General Workers Union. Um, so the great dock strike uh, takes place in 1890 and um, people were on you could say they were on zero hours contracts, but actually it was more like the gig economy because you'd be taken on for a day and you'd do one day's work. And then in between times for most of the casual labor on the docks, which was a, a you know, a, a huge pool of labor, uh, you had no um, contract, no operator had any responsibility towards you between one job and the next. You would be taken on at the start of the day if the stevedore liked the look of you. Um, and uh, of the foreman like the look of you and then you know uh, at the end of the day that's it you're off and you were only being paid for the time that you were on and you had all these workers competing with each other jostling each other for work um, and uh, I think rather than uh, dockers physically fighting each other to get to the front of the line to get jobs at a wharf in the morning um, you know the the use of apps uh, has kind of transposed all of that jostling into the virtual sphere. But that is the model. You know, these guys, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, Stuart, you know, they are trying to behave like the operators of Victorian wharves. Um, that, that's that's the employment model. Um, and, you know, in, in quite a direct technical sense, they're working for a gig. The employer's contention is that outside of those gigs, 
the employer has no responsibility towards them. Even now, Uber Taxi is trying to say that you only get, uh, you only accrue sick pay, holiday, pension, entitlement, uh, not on all the time that you're signed in working for them, but all the time that you've literally got a passenger sat in your car. So outside of, you know, the, the most strictly defined work time, you know, the, the, the gig itself, no responsibility towards you. And that is exactly, you know, that is exactly how uh, the, the, the docks worked in this country before that industry was civilized by workers' action. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, we, this is what we want to see is uh, a great dock strike for the gig economy. We want to see this industry be civilized. Um, we want to end the modern day equivalent of all the barbaric practices of the Victorian dock front. I, I want to ask you about um, how you even begin to sort of unionize workers that are, uh, I suppose, at the time class of self-employed. Get, get that in a second. But I just wanted to ask because we're, we're talking while, I mean, it's an incredible list of, of, of strike action places um, that, that you've just mentioned. But obviously we've seen in the news lately, we've had P&O workers that have just been sacked in order to have other employees hired uh, on, on minimum wage. Are you, are you concerned with the kind of, the way in which workers' rights are in the UK right now, that we're going to be seeing more situations like the Just Eat delivery drivers are facing. Because it does, I mean, you know, not to sort of uh, point fingers at one specific, you know, like whether it's Brexit, because I don't think P&O had anything to do with Brexit when it came down to it. But, you know, does it feel like there's been a relaxing of um, responsibilities on employers that will allow for more, more of this to happen? I mean, ultimately, employers are going to do what they can get away with, you know, um, and the thing that determines what employers are able to get away with is um, the strength of the workers' movement. Uh, now, uh, it was kind of interesting in the in the Corbyn years, because obviously there was kind of a lot of left-wing politics in the air, but at the same time, in 2018, that was... The, the the year with the lowest number of strikes uh, of uh, working days lost to strike action, I believe, since records began. And can it be uh, any coincidence then that after you've had a you know a few years after the total historic low point for strike action in the UK, um, you've seen. Um, employers uh, just start doing absolutely mad shit and believing that they can get away with it. Um, you know, like ultimately when more people see people like them going on strike, when people see someone they know going on strike and thinking, all right, okay, that's an option. You know, if I need to do that, that's something that me and my colleagues can do. You know, that's, that's something that's reasonable. It's possible. My mate's done it. You know, if I need to, I'll do it. If you can get to that kind of situation where people are organized and um, confident and uh, feeling like they can take strike action if they need to, uh, to defend themselves, then you will live in a better society. You'll live in a more civilized society. You'll live in a more dignified society. Um, and um, I mean, you say how organized workers. Um, 
I, basically, you just walk up to them and talk to them and say, have you ever thought about joining? <laughs> you know, um, like what what is it about your job that you'd like to change? Are there any, any things about your job that you'd like to change? And, you know, you just sort of have a chat. Like, you know, most people listening to this podcast, um, some people think that you've got to be an expert to go and do organising. Um, to organize people at work or whatever. Oh, you've got to go on a course or you've got to read a, a book about it or something. Well, that doesn't hurt. But basically what organizing is, is just chatting to people. And most people listening to this podcast have probably been chatting to people for literal decades. So, you know, crack on, just walk up to someone. <laughs> Find a place that you plan to organize, walk up to them, have a chat. I mean, um, uh, one thing I will say is... Um, there are many advantages uh, for um, food delivery workers in particular um, in terms of, ironically, because the employer is denying them uh, employee status uh, because they're insisting on this independent contractor status, that actually means many anti-trade union laws do not apply. It's perfectly legal uh, for these drivers to go on strike without balloting, for example. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's part of what has made this action spread so fast. I mean, to be honest, I think, um, the, there is a strong argument, not only for a campaign to repeal all the anti-trade union laws, because they encourage barbarism, because what is, uh, you know, this situation at P&O, if not just someone behaving like a barbarian, just thinking, okay, I'm going to pillage, um, all these ports all these communities, all these families, I'm just going to rob and pillage them because I fancy it. It's barbarity. And the only thing that can stop it is, um, is workers going on strike and asserting a little bit of democracy and human dignity. Um, so I think that all the anti-trade union laws should be repealed. I also think that people should break the anti-trade union laws um, as, much as, uh, <laughs> as much as possible, as much as necessary. I think that uh, seriously, um, you know, people shouldn't break the law lightly, but I do think that people should be prepared to defy the anti-trade union laws and, um, you know, just do it. Um, if, if, if you're in a situation where, um, you know, you can see that you need to take action collectively to stop some terrible injustice, I think people should, should go for it. Um, and, um, so I think there needs to be a campaign to repeal all the anti-trade union laws brought in since Thatcher. Um, and also there needs to be a campaign to embolden people to undermine those laws. But certainly in terms of gig economy workers, they're not really subject to the same restrictions that, say, people working on ferries might be uh, in terms of trade union law because of their employment status. Also, <clears throat> The way that loads of these strikes have started is uh, uh, people affiliated with the union, people affiliated with IWGB or lefties or socialists just turned up to a McDonald's with a leaflet saying there's a very big pay strike going on among people who do deliveries for Just Eat. Would you like to join in? And by and large, workers say yes, because pay is shit. Anywhere you go, whatever anyone's opinions on the strike, you know, some people are against strikes for whatever reason um, or, you know, they don't think it'll work or, you know, who are you, blah, blah, blah. But everyone will agree that the pay is shit. Um, and so if there's anyone listening to this who thinks, wow, 
you know, this Just Eat strike sounds really dramatic. It sounds really good. I hope they win. Well, look, there's something you can do, right? Which is go down to a McDonald's near you, hang around in the driver area, chat to the guys doing deliveries and saying, you know, there's a big strike going on over pay. Like, you know, were you guys in Chipping Sudsbury or wherever like, like to join in? And if they say yes, contact the IWGB. Um, and there you go. You know, you're, you're doing your bit. It really is as easy as going to McDonald's. I think I think that's fantastic advice to just go and uh, and and talk to delivery drivers and and explain to them strike action is happening. But I I wondered if for you know it, are there other kind of bits of advice that you could give for people to support strike action? Is is boycotting a good idea or does that not help because then that's taking away work fr- from the people who need it? Or or is that a useful thing to do? Or is 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 there better advice that we should all just be joining unions all the time? Which is is something I. I've advocated for ages, mate. So, um, yes, everyone. Well, I mean, look, you can join a union, um, but you you can join as many unions as you like. Uh, You can, you know, you can buy all the guns you like, but, you know, uh, it's like, what what are you going to do with are you just going to have all those uh, union memberships uh, filling up racks in your in your gun cabinet? Like um, the point about, um, I think lots of people on the internet who are left wing say, you know, admirably, join a union, and that's the thing that everyone says. Well, actually, um, it's not just join a union; it's talk to your colleagues about what would you like to change about where you're working, and you start a conversation about what's the thing that we could change what's the thing that we could sort out together um and then go and do that and 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 like you know joining the union is a a necessary part of doing that but i think what's really important is not so much that people join a union because they imagine that it's sort of like getting like super duper insurance or something it's um it's you know you're, you're you're you should join a union um as a means of exerting your collective power uh, in your workplace, because you know the people who do the work at the end of the day are holding all the cards, um, and um, it's them exercising their power. It's you, you know, doing, being difficult in the workplace. That is the thing that's going to change stuff in your life. And so, I, I think join a union. Yes, sure. I think kind of organise um, to change things in your workplace, organised to change things in your life, struggle to assert um, the power of the working class majority. You know, that that's that's what you should do. Uh, and joining a union is kind of part of that. Um, if people want to help the Just Eat Workers dispute, uh, they should contact the IWGB union. Um, so just go online, look up IWGB. It's there. Have a chat with them. Um, and uh, uh yeah they should they should do that and um we and they'll get some advice about you know how to go about volunteering leafleting workplaces and and so on um and there is a leaflet that you can use it's got a qr code so a driver who's interested in getting involved in the dispute can scan the qr code and get added to a whatsapp group um where we're you know having a chat about hey where are you from do you want to organize people in your area blah blah that's kind of how it works um and uh boycotts um boycotts are uh 
they're not something that we're calling for at the moment. Uh, the workers, uh, the drivers uh, haven't asked anybody to boycott anything in particular. It is helpful when uh, people email um, the, uh, the uh, you know, the heads of various of the companies involved. So on the one hand, when people email uh, people like Brendan Hamill, the uh, UK general manager, acting UK general manager of Stuart, uh, to explain that they think that uh, slapping all these workers with a pay cut is a bad idea. You know, it's helpful when people do that. It's helpful when people email, for example, the top management of Greg's, um, whose, um, you know, revenue from food delivery uh, depends in large part on the poverty pay uh, that is going out to these drivers. So Greg's, for all that they, you know, release singles about wanting to buy everybody a sausage roll, uh, they are uh, very much eating the sausage roll uh, from the plates of these drivers' children um, uh, because, you know, they're cashing in on, on poverty pay and, and that's benefiting their business. And, they, you know, they should make their money by more honest means. So people should email uh, the leadership of Greg's, email the leadership of McDonald's UK, email, you know. But um, the drivers aren't asking people to boycott any of these firms. They're relying on their own strength, their own power, um, and consumer boycotts aren't always conducive to that. Sometimes they are, but not in all cases. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show to, to talk to uh, me about it. And, um, I mean, yeah, I think it's absolutely amazing the, the, the turnout of people that are... Uh, taking part in this strike action um, and, and I hope listeners will support it in, in any of the ways that you've mentioned, any way that they can. Um, I, I, just as a last question, which is something that I ask all the, the interviews on this, which is that, um, you know, apart from yourself uh, and uh, you know, who, who would you recommend that listeners follow, read or listen to for kind of info on workers' rights um, or, or any sort of political ideals really? What, who are the people that you go to and, and what do you enjoy reading? Um. I enjoy reading uh, Solidarity newspaper, which is published by a socialist group called Workers' Liberty, and uh, it has carried a lot of really good coverage of this strike. So go to workersliberty.org and have a look at the cool stuff um, that they say there. So, you know, people should go and have a look at that. Uh, I also enjoy reading the works of Leon Trotsky and Vladimir Lenin. I love that stuff. Um, I strongly recommend it. Um, have I been reading anything else good lately? Um, I'm looking around. Um, uh, no, I've not been reading anything else. I've been reading. I've been reading Quiet Flows the Dawn, um, which is, which is lovely. But uh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd recommend people read Solidarity newspaper. Um, and the other thing that you should really do, uh, it'll give you a buzz. Uh, it'll give you like a little a little hit every time you do it is uh, just go now to uh, the uh, strike fundraiser the link for which I think Tin and you're going to stick mm -hmm. in the episode description just put 100 quid in there if it honestly it feels amazing like you get you, you get tingles just put 100 quid in there wait a few minutes then do it again it feels even better planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thanks to Ed for that brilliant chat. Um, I'm afraid I was pretty ignorant about the Stuart strike before talking to him. So since the chat, I've donated to the fundraiser, which you can do at tinyurl.com forward slash Stuart strike. That's S-T-U-A-R-T strike. Um, and also, as Ed says, spread the word. Let delivery drivers where you are know that action is taking place. Help build the movement until Stuart realise they really, really should be paying a living wage. Do email your MP, email the UK rep for Stuart and companies like Greg's that continue to use them too. Um, and find the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain. You can find them at iwgb.org.uk and they have a special link for couriers and delivery drivers at iwgb.org.uk forward slash join forward slash courier. You can also find their main Twitter at iwgbunion and they have one for couriers too. Thanks also this week to James Ross for putting me in touch with Ed. Um, James runs the amazing Quantum Leopard Comedy Club, which is one of the very best in London, nay, the world, and has just won a Chortle Award to prove it, which it very much deserved. Um, the next two weeks are a pod break, and I've got some good guests lined up for when it returns, but I always need guests, always and forever. I just want you to know I need guests eternally. So who, what, where, when, why? More chats like the one I've had with Ed, that would be amazing. More local action interviews, um, let me know. And do that by hitting me up, but you know, not in a Will Smith way, at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. And right, that is that until after the Easter's. And if while you're once again indulging in reducing the population of the already endangered chocolate chickens, I mean, I've been through that already, but honestly, it's a serious, it's a serious issue. Um, you, if while doing that, you do snort laugh at this show or you gain some value from its content, then please do tell others to give it a whiz, donate to the code for your Patreon, and maybe even give it a dandy, shiny review at Apple Podcasts or similar holes for podding. Gracias to Acast, The Last Skeptic and Cat Day. And this will be back in two weeks when Rishi Sunak will announce his new plan to help everyone with the cost of living, which will involve having to buy 30 packs of Rishi Swishy, a vitamin-filled holistic smoothie, and then by adding 10p to the cost of each pack and selling them off, you'll make an absolute fortune. When it's realised that everyone in the UK will have to buy packs so that you won't actually want to buy any off anyone, Sunak moves to California and claims everyone keeps attacking him and his wife. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Warburton's Krusty Lines. Breakfast like the Colombians do it, but paid for by Russian businessmen. You'll lose weight in no time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.